we're glad you're here. Now, those online, please remember, we are not shut down. If you need help, you let us know. If you'd like to be a member of Fourth Avenue, let us know. And that doesn't matter where you are in the world. We have members all over. We'll take you and, and we'll have a shepherd watch over you. It'll be, it'll be a good thing. Also, we don't put off baptisms. You know, um, you, if you can wash your hands, you can wash your sins away. So if you need baptism, you want to talk to somebody about giving your life to Christ, please get in touch with us because um, we're not afraid of that. Uh, and we would love to help you. Besides, we're going to be washing in water, right? So what could happen? You know, the worst that could happen is, you know, we all die and go to heaven because of baptism. Okay, um, that, that would be a fine way to go. It's not going to happen. But anyway, let's move on to Job. Happier thoughts, happier thoughts. We are in Job chapters 11 through 14 is where I've asked you to read. That's the same passage I'm asking you to read for next week because there's no way we can get through it that fast. So we're just going to look at 11 and 12 today. There is something called a God concept. Now, you need to understand, be very careful. This is not a God complex. A God complex is a psychological condition where very closely about, um, linked to narcissism and sociopathic behavior where you consider yourself godlike and you cannot be wrong and anything you say goes and nobody can disagree with you. That's, that's a God complex. The God concept is our view of God. What, what is your view of God? Whenever you think of God, how does he act? How does he speak? How does he react to us? Does he love us? Does he love others? Does he love those we do not love? All of these things are wrapped into your God concept. Now, psychologists usually point, and they're, they're accurate, to the parents as the primary source of the God concept. If you have, um, well, and here's the reason. To, to um, and parents, you need to know this, I guess. To a kid, you are God because you are the keeper of all things. You are the keeper of what food when food, what drink, when drink, bedtimes, waking times, travel. They have no control over any of these things. If you've ever wondered why kids throw tantrums in the, the grocery store, you would too. If you had no control over any aspect. And so there's that God concept forming. If you have a great, loving, giving, forgiving, nurturing relationship, the odds are they're going to be thinking of God that way. If it's criticism, punishment, um, belittling, anger, long silences, passive aggression, that is the way they're going to look at God. Now this God concept gets honed, and we're having to do broad brushes here. People who are raised by single mamas, uh, yes, you still have a God concept, but it, it does change because you form groups. These groups can be things such as your school, your, your friends at school, the teachers at school, law enforcement, any authority figure as you go through life helps shape that God concept. Job had a very confused God concept. Have you noticed that in your reading yet? It's, it, you almost think he's schizophrenic, and he isn't, because he'll talk about the goodness of God and then the arbitrary evil of God. He's not being schizophrenic. He doesn't have a good God concept because he did not have Bible schools. He did not have priests and temples to teach him. He had to work in the darkness, just hoping he was doing it right. 
The book of Romans talks quite a bit about this, by the way, when it talks about there are in, born in us a concept of right and wrong. And we used to call that natural law. Uh, and that was uh, the basis of a lot of our laws in our societies. And that really died around the time that Robert Bork was be going through the hearings for the Supreme Court because they decided to latch upon natural law. That must mean you're a religious zealot. And it, it doesn't, but we don't talk about natural law anymore, born understanding right and wrong. But there's a lot of truth in natural law. Job was wrestling, trying to find out who God is. So look at this speech of his in chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. You gave me life and showed me kindness, and in your providence watched over my spirit. But this is what you concealed in your heart. And I know that this was in your mind. He's talking to God. If I sinned, <clears throat> you'd be watching me and would not let my offense go unpunished. If I'm guilty, woe to me. Even if I'm innocent, I cannot lift my head, for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. Do you, did you see that? He's saying, I, I know you're good. And you say that you'll be good, but in your mind was, until you mess up. Now, do you see how a parent can give that idea to a child? And then they think God's the same way. That you're in and out of salvation. It's according to what your last thought was. Your last action. Or your last inaction. That decides whether you're good or not with God. Instead of being in a relationship with God. Job's view of God is very much like the Norse view of their gods. I won't go into great detail here because we've got other material to cover, but I, I thought about that last night as my grandsons were on our back porch watching the fireworks uh, where you celebrated the overthrow of a perfectly good king. Because um, we taxed your breakfast beverage. Okay, our bad. Anyway, we, they had pinwheels that were in the wind, and I talked to them about... Um, where pinwheels came from, that they were prayer wheels that came from Nepal and Tibet and the like, where people would write prayers on them, and then as they spun, that was multiplying their prayers to their gods. We talked a lot about that, and I don't know what other granddads talk about, but there we are. And one of them asked me, he said, um, how many other gods are there? What a good eight-year-old question, that one is. So we talked about why people think up gods that they have to explain things and they have to find reasons for pain and reasons for good things. And that's really where Job was. Job also does not have a clear concept of the afterlife. We brought some of this up last week, but take a look at chapter 10 again, verses 20 and 22, uh, through 22. Are not my few days almost over? Lord, come on God, turn away from me. So I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, to the place of gloom and utter darkness, to the land of deepest night, of utter darkness and disorder, where even the light is like darkness. He is not sure what's going to happen, but he's pretty sure the universe turns off the lights. And there will be no reaching him, no finding him there. Well, what would you say to Job? When we hear somebody in pain, we often leap to console them too quickly with our little platitudes. And sometimes we don't. We go worse. We go the full Zophar. Now, last week I told you, don't be Bildad. This week the phrase is, don't go the full Zophar. 
because whenever Bildad didn't get through to him, and Eliphaz had not before, Zophar thinks, you know what's wrong here? It's not what we're doing. It's that we're not doing it loud and mean enough. You ever run across these people that think, ah, you know, we've, we've been trying to reach our community for Christ and none of it's ever been working, so we're going to do the same thing yet louder and more angry. And then they're shocked it didn't work. Zophar is right in there. He is going to defend God even if it means destroying the sufferer. Now think about this. God must be defended, whatever the cost, even if it means destroying Job. And I want to remind you of what we brought up last week, because this is not taught, and it should be. The first sin was not the eating of the fruit. It was over-speaking for God, because Eve said, no, we're not supposed to eat of this tree or even touch it. God didn't say that. Don't multiply things that God says and claim he said them in an attempt to protect God. And remember, it was, you know, people say, why did, that, why did it have to have that tree in there? When you understand what they did, then it makes more sense. The eating of the fruit was, God said, don't do it because once you do, you'll understand good and evil. And then you quit being loving, giving, sharing people. You become judges over others, what is good and what is evil. It changes everything about our relationships. And once we do that, what happens? We overspeak for God. We draw our lines of morality and say the people on the other side are out. They're unacceptable. I'll tell you what's good and bad. And that's human, isn't it? That's what we do. I remember one of the first crises I had of faith. I was about uh, 11 years old. And, and again, with the discussions with my grandkids, you get the concept of what I was like at 11. Um, and it is 11, by the way. Um, and you guys could have talked so much sweeter if you just not shot us. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, moving on. My, uh, the preachers were going on about how you couldn't dance. Sin, uh, dancing was just horrible sin. And that was all dancing. Folk dancing, whatever dancing, it's all sinful. It all leads right to hell. And they said that the Bible taught it. And the, the word they used was an old King James word, lasciviousness. Which, oh, you know, and, and, and if you look up lasciviousness, it means dancing. Well, one of the teenagers, well, he was practically a grown-up. He was like 16. I was going, old guy. He's probably got a mortgage, this guy. Uh, I heard him mutter, oh, I don't think it means that. And I thought, well, I'll sort that out because I've always been a data hound. I've always dug like crazy. You give me a thread, the sweater's gone. I'm going for it. So I went back and, and looked up Greek. Yes, we did. We had Greek books in our house. I looked up Greek New Testaments, ran over to the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, if you remember that one. Double-checked, ran it all around. The word didn't, lasciviousness didn't mean dancing. Oh, it could possibly occur after certain kinds of dancing, but that's not what it meant. And it was a crisis because I was being told this is what God says when he didn't. What do you think that does to an 11-year-old's faith? Don't overspeak. Be careful. Zophar did. Confronted by Job's pain and anger and broken heart over the silence of heaven, Zophar leaps in, chapter 11, 1 through 6. Brace yourself. Zophar, the Namathite, replied, Are all these words to go unanswered? 
is this talker, by the way, literally, this man of lips, it's an insult. I don't know why the NIV pulled the insult, but I like the NIV, don't take that wrong. But sometimes I'm thinking, leave it in. Is this man of lips, this, this mouthy individual, to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce others to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you <coughs> the secrets of wisdom. But your wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sins. Okay. Um, first of all, remember Proverbs 10, 19, please, in all discussions, including Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent holds their tongue. The more words, the more problems. Back it up. That's what Jesus even went stricter, didn't he? He said, let your yes be yes, your no be no, anything else comes from the devil. And I've used, I've used examples of that before. Um, let, I happen to actually like broccoli. Let's say I didn't, and my wife knew I didn't, but I come home one day, she cooks because I can't. It's not a sexist thing. It's that God no longer wants burnt offerings, so she cooks. And I come home, and there's the plate, and then there's broccoli. And she goes, how do you like your dinner? And I look, you know, I appreciate that you made food. And then she, she's not going to let it go. She goes, she, what do you think about the broccoli? I could look at her and say, you know, I don't really care for broccoli, but I know you want me to stay along live alive longer to, to be a thorn in your side for generations to come so this is fine thank you that's a yes but if I said you know I don't like broccoli you're like your mother what have I done what have I done you have multiplied words to your own destruction there are times just to pull it back and men by the way we're really bad at this wives will come in and ask our opinion they do not want your opinion they want their opinion in a different voice does this make me look fat? This is not a way to win, people. The best thing to do is just to say, Whip, where'd you go? You're so thin there, you disappeared. Uh, that, that was frightening, that was. Moving on. Zophar is not against words. He's just against Job's words. In fact, he begins by misquoting Job. Watch for this in arguments. People, especially in politics, misquote each other as a rule. You say to God, my beliefs are flawless. I am pure in your sight. You've read. Did Job ever say this? No. The misquoting. And then he says, Wis wisdom says every story has two sides. No, it doesn't. Some stories have many sides. Some have two sides. Some have one. One of the most gross examples of this, as you know, before COVID, I flew about for 30 years working with church leaderships. And at one church, they were very, very conservative, but I don't mind conservative or liberal. I'm just here to help. But this church was actually bragging that they had kept divorced people out of their church. And I said, there's a decision tree. I'd like to climb with you. But uh, work it with me. And one elder actually was, he believed, very open. He said, I'm aware that the innocent party is free to remarry. But in my experience, he said, I've never met an innocent party. Oh, dear. You've camped out by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, haven't you? That's where you snack. 
this is horrible. Are we telling a rape victim? No, let's see if she was asking for it. A domestic violence, and by the way, I'm intending to be offensive. You need to be offended. This, maybe, maybe the woman was asking for it when the, when the husband hit her. Really? All stories have at least two sides? So he's misquoting Zophar. He's insulting all victims. He's on a roll. He's not even done yet. Chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Surely he rec God recognizes deceivers when he sees evil. Does he not take note? But the witless, oh good, insult the victim. Very helpful. Can no more become wise than a wild donkey's colt can be born human. If Zophar throws a party, don't go. That's all I'm saying. Just, just don't. Have another thing to do. It's like God, he's saying, God's saying, hey, it's out of my hands. You're evil. There's nothing I can do but just punish me. You've, you know, I have no choices. Then Zophar goes on to demand that Job repent and apologizes. And you will get the apologizing, demanding people all the time. I demand that you apologize. I demand that you apologize. Eh, if you've done something wrong, go ahead, apologize. But you'll find most people want you to apologize and then again and then again and then again until you become Zophar or Bildad or Eliphaz or whoever they are. Be very careful with this. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't get involved with these, these Escher-like etchings. I don't know if you have ever seen the, look him up. Escher's staircases and such. Whenever you look at them, there's n they're impossible. But you don't notice it when you first look at them. But they're never ending. You're going up forever or down forever or the like. Don't get involved in those. Back away. And don't do this to God. All right, Zophar. And then he, he says this. If you repent, oh, what God will do. He will pour out blessings on your head. He even says this. He even says this. He says, if you repent, God will bless you so much, you'll forget you even were in pain. Job has lost children. He's lost all that. It's, it's like, you don't forget all about them. God will just bless you so much. I don't care for Zophar. I don't know if you can pick that up. It's, it's, a, it's a bit subtle, fair enough. But I'm hoping you're catching the thread because I've, I've met Zophars. And they're not pleasant people. Remember, when you speak for God, you must stay within the boundaries of what God said and what Jesus would say. Watch Jesus, because that's where we get our God complex concept. Jesus is what God looks like, acts like, sounds like. Focus on Jesus. Would Jesus have said this? And I've had people say, well, you know, he might. Hang on. Jesus attended a whole lot more funerals than he interrupted. He sat with a lot of people in pain, didn't try to fix them, just sat with them. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. Can't fix it. If we can help do something for them, we will. But we will sit there with them without judge. What is love and this, that, and the other? Job gets a bit sarcastic here. Um, let's, yeah, that's where I want to go. Thank you. You were ahead of me, where you're supposed to be. Doubtless you are the only people who matter, and wisdom will die with you. A little sarcastic. But I have a mind as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know all of these things? And not the inferior thing about 
everything you're, told, you're telling me, I already know that sort of thing. The worst possible thing you can do when we're faced with somebody in pain is to quit listening to the person in pain. They have something to say. Listen. They've got some information. Listen. You don't have to agree with it. You don't even have to believe it's true. But you do have to listen and hear the pain. Don't forget what we learned from Ecclesiastes. Current external circumstances do not necessarily reveal inner realities. You're surrounded by blessings does not necessarily mean God is blessing you. You're surrounded by pain does not necessarily mean God is not blessing you and doesn't like you. We are unable to tell from externals what's going on internally and with God. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. I've just saved you some time if you've not done our long series on that one. Let's take a look at Job again. Job 12, 5 and 6. Those who are at ease have contempt for misfortune as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. Hold on that verse right there. Think of let them eat cake. You've heard that phrase? Now, we always think of birthday type cake there. It was actually another type of bread she was referring to, but it didn't matter. Marie Antoinette, being a rich person, did not consider what being poor was like. So, well, then they can do this over. If, if, you, um, if you've lived for any time at all, you know it is easy to judge those less fortunate than ourselves. We do it. And it's a shame, it's a sin. Be very careful. The tents of marauders are undisturbed. In other words, the bad guys get away. And those who provoke God are secure. Those God has in his hands. Ooh, that's a blast at Calvinism there, saying, you know, if God has pre-chosen you to love, you can do whatever you want to. And if he hasn't, there's not a thing you can do. Well, Jesus would come to show that that's wrong, that God has chosen all of us. He loves all of us. Job tells his friends, even the animals know life can go sideways in a moment. Take a look at this. But ask the animals, and they'll teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they'll tell you. I love birds. We used to rescue parrots. Let me tell you something. You can learn from birds. And we had some members that, that had us bird set their parrot when they went on vacation. That takes guts, people. Because we heard conversations between the two of them in their voices. We turned off the television for a week, said, get the notebooks. This is fun. But ask the animals, and they'll teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. That's Romans 1, by the way. Romans 1, right there. Which of all of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. And then Job warns them that the same judgment they use can and will come back on them, and that's Matthew 7. You see why we had to have the book of Job? Because then the answers come, but not in Job. They come later. It all comes back to that original sin. We are not the judges of good and evil. We were created for love and good works. We were not created to be judges of others. I don't think judges are a word there. Judges of others. We were called to be paracletes. Those who walk along the road with the other. The companions of those on a journey. 
so that nobody in pain would ever have to walk alone. Mark, would you bring your group back to the stage, please? This is not on the notes. And as we wrap, John 17, 22, Jesus in a prayer before he is taken to be killed, talks to his God, his Father, and he says, I have given, I have given them the glory you gave me. We often think glory in the by and by, but no, we've already been given the glory of God in full measure. He has given us the glory of God. God is forever the light. And we are the prisms that refract that light in love in every situation that we meet. No judgment. No morality used as a sledgehammer here. But rather, we keep our morality to keep our feet where they should be. But everybody else, we show love. Remember, don't correct the other until you are perfect. Jesus has a lot of this in there. If we just hear, we can walk away from the original sin of judging and become the reflectors of the love of God he always intended us to be. Read chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14 for next Sunday. Let's rise and sing to our God before we separate again. And may God bring us free, clear, and healthy times again. Amen.